0: Um, Our Behold series is a time when we look at the different times in the Bible when God has commanded us to behold something, to look at something, and this morning is no different. We will be looking at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You can open up your Bibles to the passage, and it will also be on the screen up above The morning of September 11th, 2001 was supposed to be a normal work day for Janelle Guzman-McMillan. She worked on the 64th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And at around 8.15 that morning, she heard a great rumble up above as an airplane crashed into one of the floors above her office. Sadly, at the time, um, people did not know what was going on. So an announcement came to the building saying, just stay where you are, everything is okay. So while many of her coworkers escaped down the stairway quickly, Janelle decided to stay in her office. But as the South Tower fell, she realized she needed to get out. So She quickly began making her way down the staircase from the 64th floor. The only problem was she was wearing high-heeled shoes. And as she climbed down the stairs, she went slowly. The 13th floor, she decided it's better to go barefoot. She decided to remove her shoes. And as she was doing so, the North Tower fell on top of her. 13th floor. Amazingly, she was alive, trapped beneath the rubble. But no one came. She laid there underneath the rubble, stuck, unable to move, hearing the chirps of the walkie-talkies beeping around her, hearing rescue workers up there, even hearing the voices of other survivors screaming out from underneath the rubble. Janelle had too much dust in her throat. She was not able to make much noise After 24 hours had passed, it was time for her to give up hope of rescue. She realized that no one was coming, that this was where she was going to die. No hope. Nothing coming. This morning, do you feel hopeless? When you think about your life and your future, You feel hopeless. Maybe you do sometimes um, feel hope, but you experience moments of depression, feel moments of sadness, feel moments of deep anxiety because you don't see a way out of a situation you're in. You don't see any idea of how things that are wrong around you or wrong inside of you could ever change well the good news is this morning that god meets our hopelessness with his hope so let's read revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 then i saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and written within and on the back sealed with seven seals Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Let's pray as we dive into this. Father God, we pray, Lord, that your word would um, reveal to us who you are. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten these, these words to us so that we might gain a picture of you and particularly your son this morning, so that we might behold him. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation, if you've ever read through it, it's a pretty crazy book. Um, Lots of uh, huge things happening in this book. Lots of crazy visions going on. But what Revelation often does is it kind of zooms out for us. So while we have our own human small all things considered perspective of what is going on in the world and in history. Um, God sees it in a much broader, much bigger scale. And so what happens in Revelation a lot is the apostle John is expressing to us these visions he's had where God has allowed him to get a view into the throne room of God, into the heavens, seeing the world, seeing history, seeing what comes to pass in a cosmic gigantic picture. And so what happens here is that John is brought into the throne room of God. And uh, we're not going to talk about everything that that this means right away. We'll talk about it eventually. Um, But right now, what I want you to focus on is as he's in the throne room, how does he respond? How is he affected by what he sees? You see in this throne room, there's a scroll in the right hand of, of God. And as it's in his hand, um, they're looking for someone who has the ability and the worthiness to be able to open this scroll, but they can't find anyone. They look far and wide. They look above the Earth, under the Earth, in the heavens, and they cannot find anyone worthy and able to open the scroll. John knows that in this scroll there is hope, hope for the world. No one can open it. And so he has an appropriate response. He weeps, he weeps, and he weeps because there is no one to open the scroll. But someone comes to him in comfort, and they say to him, one of the elders says to him, do not weep, but behold, behold, there is hope. As we dive into this passage this morning, I want to look at two questions to help us understand what's going on here and help us understand why it might encourage us this morning. Uh, The first question is, why is it that John feels hopeless in this moment? Why does he cry so deeply? And the second is, where is his hope and where is our hope found? Why does John feel hopeless, but where is hope found? So why does John feel hopeless? As I mentioned, it's because there is no one who is able to open this scroll. What is going on here? Um, look at verse 1, figure out what this scroll is all about. It says, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. First thing I want you to notice here about this scroll is who is holding it. The person who's holding it is God. John doesn't use the word God. He describes them as he who is seated on the throne. In other words, he is emphasizing that God is the one who is on the throne. He is the one ruling over all of creation. He is the one directing and decreeing everything that comes to pass. He is the one that has dominion and authority over all of history and the future. And the decree, oh sorry, the, uh, the, the scroll is in his right hand. That would have symbolized a king would have passed on with his right hand his laws, his decrees. What he has determined should be the good, good for the kingdom over which he rules. And in his right hand, God has this scroll saying that this, this that I'm holding is my decree for all the whole of history and the future should play out. This is God's foreordained plan that he has ordered to be carried out. What's in this scroll? Well, that's what we see here. It says this scroll had text written within and on the back. What's going on there? Why does it say there's stuff written within the scroll? and on the back. Some people have said that maybe that just means that the plan is so big and complex they couldn't fit it all on the front, so they had to write it on the front and the back, and certainly this plan is a big plan. But also, this would have reminded the reader of something that was very common in these times when it was written, and that would have been a Roman-style will or contract. You see, when the Romans would make a contract, what they would do is they would write all of the details of the contract on the inside of this parchment, just in detail, every way that it was supposed to be carried out. And then they would seal it. And they would seal it so only the appropriate parties, the ones whom it was intended for, would be able to open it and look at the contents. However, on the back, they would write a brief outline or a a summarized version of what was inside so that those who were handing it off would know what was inside. I believe that's what's going on here because that makes sense with what was going on in the scriptures. You see, if you think back to the very first Christmas, right Right before that happened, let's say like, I know it didn't actually happen on December 25th but, or 24th. Let's say you're on December 23rd, you're a Jew in 0 BC, and you are a faithful follower of God, you are questioning is there ever going to be any hope? Where, when is God going to fulfill his promises? You see, because the Jew had the outline, they had the summarized version of what God was planning. They knew God was planning to send a Messiah. They knew God was planning to send somebody to do something, but they didn't know the details yet. Is there anyone worthy to open the scroll, they might have asked. I want to take a second, I want to look through the Old Testament to trace some of this outline that they might have had and what they might have been expecting. If you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. It's the very beginning of the Bible. This is the fall of man, Adam and Eve. They rebel against their God who has loved them, and they decide, hey, I think I know better than God. And so they say, screw you, God. I'm doing my own thing. And they eat the fruit, and they um, are punished by God. They're sent out of the garden. But God does not leave them hopeless. He says to them, even at the very end of casting them out of the garden, He gives a curse to the serpent who attempted them. And this is what He says He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Even at the very beginning of man screwing everything up, God says, I promise that one day your descendant, a descendant of the woman, will crush the head of sin, will destroy it. We flash forward a little bit, a few chapters in Genesis, we get to Abraham, And to Abraham, he makes a similar promise. He says, Then I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring. Offspring here is singular, meaning one person particularly. After you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to God, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. It's a promise offspring of Abraham that is going to come. Then a descendant of Abraham gets another promise. Judah, Judah the son of Jacob, Judah gets this blessing from his father right before he dies. It says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall so be the obedience of the peoples. Judah even here is promised that his descendants will sit on the throne. His descendant will be the ruler. The people will fall on their knees in obedience to his descendant. So of course um, when a descendant of Judah, the King David, comes onto the throne of Israel, people assume This is the one that we have been promised. But even there, God says, no, it's not David. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you die down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. (coughs) There's a permanent kingdom promised to David that will be led by his descendant. His offspring will come, bring forth a kingdom that will never end. Think may, People think maybe it's Solomon, or people thought at the time that maybe it was Solomon. Solomon came after him. He built the temple. As it says, he shall build a house for my name. But Solomon quickly failed. And actually, after Solomon the kingdom of Israel only declined, went downhill, downhill. People began to wonder, has God forgotten us? Has he given up on his promises? Around 700 BC, Isaiah prophesies to the declining kingdom of Israel, and he says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, meaning the line of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by, by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You see, Isaiah even now is promising to the Israelites that one day will come from this line of David one who is truly worthy to lead, one who leads not by his own wisdom. leads from righteousness and faithfulness to god someone who truly delights in the lord with his whole heart and soul and mind but you imagine that the jew who is sitting there on december 23rd year zero is thinking is this ever going to happen Has God forgotten us? In fact, we haven't had a single prophet, a single word from the Lord in 400 years. Has God given up on his plan? Adam didn't do it. Adam couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. Judah couldn't do it. Is there anybody worthy to be this Messiah? Is there anybody worthy to open the scrolls? Is there hope? This is, the idea, this is why the idea of hope is so closely tied with Christmas, because it is at Christmas when hope dawns. A light shining, shines in darkness. People living in darkness have seen a great light. And that's where we come to the second question. Where then do we find hope? We find it in what Christmas is all about the fact that the Messiah, the promised one, has come. And he has come to earth to fulfill God's long promised plan, to fulfill God's decree, to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, says Revelation. Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah." The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment to all of these prophecies. He is the descendant of Eve and Abraham and Judah and David. He is the one who is able and worthy to open the scroll. He is the one who is going to take God's decree from his right hand and bring it to fruition to establish God's kingdom on this earth. And how is this going to happen? How does he do this? What does this scroll reveal to us? How is the Lion of Judah able to conquer? By becoming the Lamb who was slain. See, Jesus was worthy. Jesus was the spotless lamb, the unblemished Lamb, the perfect human, the human that lived in complete dependence on his father, the human the God, the human that lived with complete delight in the Lord, but he was also God. So he was able to go to the cross as this perfect, spotless lamb and take upon himself the sin that we ourselves deserved. And in doing so, he was able to crush the head of the serpent, as Genesis promises us. Through his death and resurrection, he not only defeats sin and death, but he also establishes that permanent kingdom that was promised to David's descendant. A kingdom where death and sin do not reign. And even today up in the heavens, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, mediating out the king, the God of the universe's decree for the world. Mediating out out God's rule over creation. Preserving this world, redeeming it, even in the process of making it all new and removing, finally, death and sin. So in the midst of feelings of hopelessness, of feelings of despair, of feelings of dread, anxiety, depression, do not weep as someone without hope. Do not weep as someone who does not have any hope, but instead, behold Jesus. I've got you. My name is Paul. After 27 hours of being under the rubble of the North Tower, after hearing these rescue workers pass by her without noticing her, she hears this voice. I've got you. My name is Paul. On September 12th, 2001, Janelle became the very last survivor to be pulled from the rubble. Janelle had, just moments before Paul showed up on the scene, had had accepted her death and decided that she was without hope. But in that moment, a hand reached down and they were able to pull her out. Hope has come for us. When we feel like despairing, when we feel like there is no hope, we are reminded to look to Jesus, to behold the lion of Judah, the root of Jesse, the lamb who was slain, and find hope in the fact that he is on the throne. He has conquered, he is the one filling out God's decree. The restoration of all things now there's still parts of the scroll we can't see yet um, there's we don't know exactly when or how God is going to renew all things what he is doing with all of the situations in this world even now we don't understand all of the answers to those questions but we do have the outline and we do know that it is sure that he is coming back and it is sure that he is going to make all things new but here's a cool thought that I was thinking about as I prepped this sermon is that when the Israelites were expecting this Messiah before Christ came, they had no idea how great this Messiah would be. They were expecting a, a ruler who would come to defeat the, the Romans, a ruler who would just lead on earth for a period of time. Maybe just establish the nation state of Israel, but instead, Jesus came to not relieve them from the Romans, that happened in time on its own, but to free the entire world, not just Israel, free the entire world from sin and death, these big, big, humongous enemies. Jesus was way better than the Jews could have even imagined, so I only have to think that as we look forward to the future, as we look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus' return, it's going to be way better than we think. It's going to be way better than we could ever dream or imagine. Jesus is going to make all things new. The world he is going to recreate is going to be way better than we could ever think. And so, this is good news for those of us who are struggling with depression or hopelessness fear or anxiety because we get to behold him. We get to behold Jesus. We get to behold the one who says, I've got you. My name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for um, this story, the story of your hope that you have for us. Um, We thank you so much for for showing us over and over again that you are faithful to your promises. Ultimately, in the person of Jesus, may we behold him and remember what he has done for us. And may, may we look forward to that day, find hope in that future day when he will make all things new. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogotá.org.